Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. I direct your attention today to the New Testament, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with circumcision, made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. For the New Testament believer, verse 12, shows what that circumcision is. Buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcised of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all, forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you about triumph, the original cancel culture. Triumph, the original cancel culture. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We are so thankful, God, for this opportunity, Lord, that we can celebrate your resurrection, but also that we can live it. We can live it. Paul said that he wanted to know nothing less than you crucified and risen again, your resurrection, the power of your resurrection. And today we don't want to just celebrate it, but we want to live it. Help your word, O oh God, to our heart today. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. As I was studying this message and getting prepared for it, I thought about some things that I learned along life's road through school. I hated English. Do I have any brothers and sisters that just hated English in school? It's a good thing the Lord called me to preach. I love geography. I could study geography. That interests me. I loathed algebra. Algebra was of the devil, still is. Now, I like geometry, on the other hand, but I hated algebra. 
I was not very, very, very fond of science, but I loved history. History was perhaps my favorite subject and intrigued me. I learned that history is important because it tells us how we got here and what happened before. And there are moments in history that has shaped not only a, a, a neighborhood or a community, but it has shaped the world. As most recent, as, as history has, has changed back uh, just not too awful long ago, you know, back in the, in the early 90s. That's what bishops say, that's 30 years ago. Just in the early 90s, the internet was the work of a dozen pioneers, of uh, uh, scientists, uh, like uh, those that are saying that we needed to, Nikola Tesla, who said we, we would one day have a world wireless system. There are all kinds of things, but according to History Channel, and you know you can believe them, there are several systems that were in place. But in 1990, Tim Berns-Lee invented the World Wide Web. Sorry for that vice president used to be. He didn't invent it, but Tim Berns-Lee invented the World Wide Web. This invention and the advent of home computers changed the world. It did change the world. It changed how we do things in just a dramatic way. Just say the word or the numbers. Mention the numbers 9-11 and you will quickly remember the visions of the massive twin towers as they are crumbling to a heap of steel, debris, and bodies. September 11th, 2001 changed America and it changed the world. Talk about a change. World War II stands as a colossal historical event all its own. The attack of Pearl Harbor changed a nation and a world. Hitler became evil personified as you think about the atrocities of the Holocaust and his attempt to have world domination. But really it was the the bombing on Hiroshima and Nagasaki that changed the world forever when it come to the, the thought of a nuclear holocaust. Dig a little deeper in time and in the annals of history and you read stories like the conquering king of Alexander who influenced a, a whole world to come into what is known as the Hellenistic period. The Renaissance was birthed out of the bubonic plague as 75 million people died. The rebirth of the Renaissance era brought with it the changes of knowledge, of technology and prosperity. The saga of the Civil War reshaped the landscape of our American culture as was the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Time would not permit me to go into detail about man walking on the moon and the medical marvels of successful organs and heart transplants. The first mobile phone and Rosa Parks that refused to give up her seat on the bus. There are incredible and remarkable events in human history. Stories of tragedy and triumph, fears and, and, and courage and all the stories that you could talk about. But I want to tell you today, there is no story like the story of Christ and the cross. It is compelling and complex, but it is the story of stories. It is indeed the greatest story ever told. The scene unfolds as the servant Savior knelt among the olive trees in a garden called Gethsemane. Sweat surrounded the place where he knelt and prayed. He prayed in agony over the cup that he was about to drink. 
Luke records in chapter 22 and verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Sister Tiffany, if you would make your way. There is nothing like the scene of Gethsemane and the agony with which he was beginning to endure. Sister Tiffany wrote something and posted it and I've asked her to come and share with us the medical impact on Christ's body, if you would. Jesus was in excellent physical health. He was a carpenter by trade. And his ministry was spent traveling by foot. His stamina and strength were most likely very well developed. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus and the disciples enter the garden of Gethsemane to pray. It is here he begins to sweat great drops of blood. Hematohydrosis is the result of mental anguish or high anxiety. It causes the capillaries which feed your sweat glands to break down and mixes with your sweat. This condition also causes the skin to thin and it becomes tender. It feels like you have a sunburn over your entire body. Step one of a physical condition that will become much, much worse. Arrested and exhausted from lack of sleep, Jesus has been mocked and his skin, already tender, is beaten. He is forced to travel to Herod and then back to Pilate, a distance approximately two and a half miles by foot. Following Roman law, Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged. The leather strips of the whip contained metal balls, which when they hit the skin caused the vessels under the skin to break down and the fascia under the skin would break down as well, becoming mushy. Then the bone, which was sewed to the end of each strap, would embed in the already damaged, softened areas and pull it from the body. Jesus has now lost an immense volume of blood, and this causes his blood pressure to drop quickly and sends him into shock. John 19 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. To increase blood volume, the human body requires water. Jesus' thirst in this verse is his body's natural response to his human suffering. The robe placed on his back by the Roman soldiers would have helped staunch his blood loss, like we put a Band-Aid on a cut. However, the crown of thorns pushed into his head, caused excessive bleeding, and likely pierced one of the two facial nerves. Because he spoke several times after this on the cross, it's unlikely it damaged his trigeminal nerve, but it probably damaged his facial nerve, his facial nerve number seven. This nerve causes, is the feeling for the face that causes intense pain when it's injured. So he then would have had intense pain in his face and down his neck. Once again, they mock him, tear his robe from his body, and break open the wounds that had started to heal. If he were a patient, 
his, con his condition at this point would be considered critical. Experiencing severe blood loss and shock, Jesus is unable to carry his cross. They threw Jesus to the ground, grinding dirt into his open wounds, and began nailing him to the cross. Driving the massive nail through his wrist would have severed his median nerve. The median nerve responds slightly different than the other nerves in the body. It doesn't cause gradual pain. It causes the sensation of shocking. When you hit your funny bone, that's your median nerve. He would have felt that constant sense of shock up his arm and into his chest. Nailing his feet likely severed his dorsal pedal artery, <laughs> causing severe pain that would have traveled up his leg, into his thighs, and into his pelvis. Because his feet were what was bracing him, he would not have been able to have eased or escaped that pain. To inhale, the diaphragm moves down to make room in the chest for the lungs to fill. To exhale, the diaphragm pushes up, pushing the air out of the lungs. The weight of Jesus' body pulled down on his diaphragm, forcing air into his lungs, but not allowing it to escape. To exhale, he would have had to have pushed up on his feet. We can only speak or produce sound of any kind when we exhale because it pushes wind across your vocal cords. The Bible tells us that Jesus spoke seven times while hanging on the cross. Each time he would have had to push up on his feet to do so, which makes the statement, forgive them, have an entirely different meaning. Limited exhalation caused carbon dioxide to fill his blood. Typically, this would lead to suffocation. The excess of carbon dioxide in the blood turns the blood to carbonic acid. It causes the capillaries in your body to break down. And when they do, they turn into a watery liquid that fills your body, fills your chest fills the sac around the heart. It's called pericardial effusion. And it fills the area around the lungs, which is called pleural effusion. When the soldiers pierced his side and blood and water flowed, this is the water that flowed from, from Christ. Christ's lungs were collapsing. He was severely dehydrated. His organs were failing due to lack of oxygen. And his heart was failing. The lack of oxygen in his heart likely caused cardiac arrest. Most likely his physical body died from a heart attack. Jesus felt every ounce of pain and endured every second of his sacrifice for us. Can you lift up your heart to the Lord right now? Come on, thank him. Hallelujah. Thank him. Consider this, that the story of Christ and the cross is one that Hollywood has yet to produce. A film that can accurately depict the range of Christ's emotion and the gruesomeness of the scene. The crowd 
that just a few days before was crowning him and crying Hosanna is now crying crucify him. Isaiah prophesied and said that the Messiah would, be given his, would give his back to the smiters. Perhaps one of the greatest authors that has painted the picture of Calvary is uh, Gene Edwards. When he wrote, half blind, near death, he dragged the wooden beam up the lonesome hill. When he stumbled, a passerby was conscripted to complete the task. Through blood-filled eyes, he caught his first glimpse of Golgotha and heard the sound of hammers finishing their instruments of execution. The soldiers turned the carpenter around so that he could see what lay upon the ground before him, the cross, the cross. Why would one who had healed sick decide that I will now accept their mocking? From the moment Judas kissed the face of the Lord, Jesus entered into a a moment that all of history would say, why? Why allow the beating? Why allow the suffering? Why the pain? Why endure what Sister Tiffany read to us a little while ago? Why would Jesus subject himself to such indescribable torture? Surely there is no victory in this, this scene. Surely there is no good side to this horrid event. He is innocent. He's not guilty. He is innocent. Amen. Not only that, Jesus was trying to be canceled. Canceled by Judas in a garden. Canceled by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin as they attempt to charge him with blasphemy. Herod tried to counsel him. The crowd tried to can- cancel him by shouting, crucify, crucify him. Pilate found no fault in him, and yet he gave into the cancel culture of that day that condemned Jesus for no good reason at all. Satan is the ultimate canceler. He wanted to cancel the advent of Messiah from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Calvary's hill. I like what commentator E.F. Bruce wrote when he said, We can only imagine how Satan and every dark, gleeful demon attacked Jesus as he hung on the cross on our behalf, as if he were a guilty sinner. As he was suspended there, bound hand and foot to the wood in apparent weakness, they imagined that they had him at their mercy and flung themselves on him with hostile intent. But far from suffering their attack without resistance, he grappled with them. He mastered them. He stripped them of all their armor. Amen. That they trusted and he held them alone in his outstretched hand because you see to humanity Calvary is an ugly despicable scene but to heaven it is victory to heaven it is triumph to heaven it is victory in Isaiah 53 let me read it because it was prophesied hundreds of years before this happened at Calvary amen the bible says he is despised in verse 3 he is despised and rejected of men still is today cancel him don't have anything to do with Jesus a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief cancel him amen and we hid as it were our faces from him we don't want anything to do with him he was despised and and, and we esteemed him not 
not. But surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Let me tell you what that means. Transgression is your outward sin. Iniquity is your inward sin. Transgression is what we do. Iniquity is what we think. And my Lord went to Calvary not having sin, not guilty, but innocent. And he took my sin and he took your sin and he put it upon himself and he went to a cross and there he took care of your transgressions, my transgressions, your iniquities, and my iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We all, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But look at this again. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Study it. It took place. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There is a reason for Calvary in one word. Victory. Victory. From earth's view... It was awful. From heavens, it was victory. Hebrews 12 tells us in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy, somebody say the joy, the joy that was set before him. Think in your mind what Sister Tiffany read. Think about that. Does that look like joy to you? No, it does not look like joy. And he, despi uh, not despising the shame, he set himself to Calvary. You know, they tell us today that we're evolving, that humanity's getting better. There is a belief that we're getting better. Some folks are blind. People are not getting better. People are not getting better. Come on, just read the news. Paul said that, that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But sin has become a taboo concept and subject. Don't talk about sin. Amen. Society blames everything and everyone else. But the whole thing is sin. That's the real elephant in the room, if you please. Hallelujah. We find that what we saw today in the baptisms that took place was that this was the spiritual cutting of the flesh, if you please. The severing of the flesh, of saying, I no longer trust in the flesh, I no longer lean in the flesh, and I will no longer pursue the sins of the flesh. Why? I've been buried with him in baptism, and I've been risen with him through faith and the operation of God. 
Then look at sec, look at Colossians 2 and 13. And you, and you, somebody say me, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all, forgiven you all trespasses. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is just a house full of sinners. This is just a house full of sinners. Amen. I among am the chiefest among you. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. But I found out that my lying, amen, and everything that I did in my life and every issue that I've had, amen, the sin that I had, amen, I owed a debt for it. The Bible said all of sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3. John said in 1 John 1 and 8, he said, If ye have no sin, you deceived yourself. You say, I have no sin, you deceived yourself. Ecclesiastes says, There's not one righteous man on the earth. 7 and 20. Amen. The works of the flesh are evident according to Galatians 5 and 19. Everyone, John 8 and 34 says, Everyone commits sin and is a slave to sin. We don't have a race problem, we have a sin problem. We don't have a murder and violence problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have addiction problems. We have got a sin problem. We don't have porn habits. We've got sin habits. We don't have immoral problems. We've got sin problems. If you're sleeping outside of God's covenant of marriage, the Bible says you have a sin problem. If you're constantly using profanity and vulgarity, you, have, you don't have a language problem you've got a sin problem if you're rebellious and disobedient you don't have an identity crisis you have a sin problem all of us do but I want to read Colossians 2 and 14 and this verse came alive to me this week as I was studying this Amen. To my point, I come. Colossians 2 and 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You see, what is a handwriting of ordinances? It is the certificate of being found guilty. It is the certificate of guilt. It is a document, they say, it is believed that when criminals were hung on a tree, that their charges would be nailed above them. Pilate didn't have, he said, I find in him no fault at all. But all he could say is that he's guilty of being king of kings and lord of lords. That's all he's guilty of. Amen. But he came... Because we had a debt. I have a, had a debt of certificate. Amen. That phrase means it is a handwriting or a handwritten document that records a promissory note or a debt note. It is a doc document that is written that one has the proof of obligation and indebtedness. I was a sinner. I was a sinner. I had to go and be saved. I had to go. How was I going to be saved? Nailing it to the cross. I would have to die on the cross to save my sins and pay for the price of my sin. I had a death penalty, penalty over me. If you don't think the handwriting against you is plain enough, search your heart. See what you've done. See where you've been. What you've been doing. Where you're at. The law 
puts it down in order. And if something is going on in my life, my life is covered by sin, I'm doing things that is not pleasing to God, then I have a promissory note that says guilty. The law said guilty. The law comes along and exposes my sin, but it is powerless to do anything about it. It is powerless. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anybody got a piece of paper? Got a piece of paper? Give me a... I need a piece of paper. Praise God. Thank you. Oh, my lovely wife. She's, she's always got my back. She's a good one. Praise God. Woo. That's a, that's a thing. On here. Think about every one of your sins being written here. Every one of your sins. Every one of your wrongdoings. Every act that you're doing or have done. On here. And you be go and hung on a tree and it says guilty, 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 guilty. But Jesus went and he grabbed my uh, ordinance of sin. He grabbed my certificate of sin and he took it and he put it upon himself. He that knew no sin was made sin. He took it upon himself. Every lie I ever told, every bad thing I ever done, every evil thought that I have, both iniquity and transgression, he put it on himself. He didn't have sin, but he put your lying on and he took your writing the writing that said guilty guilty, guilty you can wiggle out of it you can try to explain it away you can try to say it's really a new day or you can say I'm guilty I'm guilty Oh, but praise be to God. He took that, and as Paul writes, he took that ordinance that it was against us, that was contrary to us, amen, and he did what? He took it out of the way. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Hallelujah. So the real uh, ordinance, the real canceling of the debt, the real handwriting of ordinance that was on Christ was the sin of the world. And what did they do? They took him and laid his hands on the wooden tree and they nailed not him to the tree they nailed my lying, cheating, stealing carousing, they nailed it to the tree, they nailed the drug addict's problem to a tree they nailed the alcoholic's problem to a tree, they nailed every sin that humanity would ever have was nailed to the tree Then it says, blotting out. Blotting out. Somebody said cancel. The original cancel culture is not this political mess that goes through our world today. But it was what Jesus did when he took my sin and nailed it to the tree. He said, cancel. Lying, canceled. Cheating, canceled. Adultery, canceled. Fornication, canceled. Amen. Conniving, canceled. Jealousy, canceled. Drug addiction, canceled. In the name of Jesus, that's what he did. That's what he did. That's what he did. (laughs) Oh, you say that's good, but I need to know a little bit more. Okay, let me tell you what the Word says. 
Amen. I alluded to it earlier. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then Romans 8 and 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He took my sin. He took your sin. Amen. He was guilty of being king of the Jews. That's it. But we were guilty of handwriting of ordinances. Then the Bible says he took it out of the way. John the Baptist saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 1 John 3 and 5 and ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins. To take away our sins. We broke the law. The law condemned us and pronounced us guilty. But he comes along and says, canceled. 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 Oh, praise be to God. That's not all he did. Throw up Colossians 2 and 15. Hallelujah. Colossians 2 and 15. He canceled our debt. And then he spoiled principalities and powers. Christ hanging on the tree was a moment of victory, not a moment of defeat. Amen. He not only canceled my debt, he disarmed our enemy. That's what it means having spoiled principalities and powers. He defrocked them of all their authority over men. He, def he did took away and disarmed principalities that raged against us. Amen. And made a bold declaration when he come out of the tomb resurrected. He said I have disarmed the enemy for you. Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection disarmed your enemy. You have authority now because of what Christ did. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. The terms here that are, are presented are military terms and the idea that Christ achieved complete victory and has subdued his enemies by his death and resurrection. So all creation is now under the authority of Christ. Satan and demons will no longer hold ownership to this world. No longer hold ownership to the continuation of sin. Amen. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he spoiled our foes and stripped them of their controlling power in our life. One commentator said this description would be familiar to his readers as it was used of a triumphant Roman general who stripped his foes and led them captive behind his chariot in a great victory possession. For when Christ come out of the tomb, he didn't come out without some kind of spoil, but he came out from the spoils of hell when he went and preached to the, the spirits in prison. And the Bible said he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Here's what you need to know about the cross is that your sins were nailed there. Here's what you need to know about the resurrection is that your enemy was spoiled there. Well, if we were saying Sunday night, I'd just stop here and preach the rest of this Sunday night. But I'm going to be kind to you 
I'm only going to preach for another hour and then we'll be gone. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan and he still is doing it today. We have power over the enemy. I don't care what this world does, what happens in our culture. You have power over the enemy if you've been submitted to Christ. The Bible says that we're to repent of our sins. That means change our direction. Be baptized in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Taking on the heavenly name. And taking on what happened at Calvary. What happened at Calvary comes in the, in the form of the same death, burial, and resurrection. And when I come out, I come out in new life. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us. Not him only, but us. Causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That, that is why I can now say, as I have been born again, amen, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened in me. Why? I no longer have the guilty verdict. It's been nailed to a tree. Stand with me, please. To the person today, you know there's a, there's a handwritten ordinance out there that says, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You can, you can wash it away in your brain and say, well, I, I'm, 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 I'm justifying this in some way. You could drink it away with alcohol. Try to wash it away with booze. Wash it away with drugs. Wash it away with all kinds of things. But it's still there. Guilty. Guilty. But when I come to the cross and I fall on my face before God and say, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. Blot my guilty page out. Folks, he doesn't just say okay and hides it in file 13 or, but the Bible said he took it away washed him away washed him away when you ask the Lord to forgive you they're forgiven when you get buried in his name the nature is washed away washed away a new nature comes in amen to those of you that are baptized today let me tell you you're going to meet challenges you're going to make issues but God calls you by his name now Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.